0: This is an audio sermon recorded at Highway 71 Church of Christ in Alma, Arkansas. We are Christians seeking to worship God in spirit and in truth. We would love for you to worship with us at 10 30 on Sunday mornings at 1808 Highway 71 North in Alma, Arkansas.
1: Good morning, Family of Christ that meets here in Alma. I am glad to see bright, shining faces, and I'm going to need those today. I'm going for some small wins early. I got the date right. The next is a pretty powerful verse that I've kind of lived with for about the last eight weeks or so, just trying to put this together. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? That's part of Romans 2, 1 through 16. And if you don't hear it in context, it doesn't quite make much sense. You know, is it a question? Is it a statement? What's that about? We're gonna delve in that. And I'm hoping that after this half an hour, 40 minutes, you won't feel like I've been on a couch up here and you've been listening to me with a notepad. So how, how long you been having this a problem? Yeah. So this is a special thanks to uh, Lee Adair, James Ludicky. And J. Lloyd, as they gave sermon lessons, it kind of led up to this. They, they preached the last three sermons uh, of, our, of our gospel meeting. And this is going to build on what they shared. And then some. So we'll go ahead and get started. It's going to be split into three sections today. Backgrounds of, the background of Romans 1 and supporting verses in Psalms, Proverbs, and Matthew. The Romans 2 text. And the so what, the what does it all mean. I'm going to try to do my best to uh, get through this with as few tears as possible. And I may call on two people to help with that. Because it gets a little ugly, it gets a little messy. Whenever humans get involved in things, it's just... So, we're going to start talking about Romans 2 by looking at Romans 1 temporarily. There's a therefore that starts off the passage in Romans 2, and that means because of all the things that were just talked about before that, we're not going to go through all that. That would take a couple of sermons. But it's because of the text of chapter 1 that Paul had just written, and these people had just read, God's wrath is being revealed, hopefully you can see it too, against all ungodliness and the unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Paraphrased, mankind has no excuse. God's eternal qualities and his existence are known and displayed throughout the creation. Rejecting this results in people drastically going off the rails and actively rejecting God's will. That's going to come back. This describes the world for the last 2,000 years and probably before then, you know, probably about the time of the Great Flood, Mankind was off the rails pretty severe. And uh, this described my, my own life for a time. Who will render to each person according to his deeds? Psalms 62, 11, and 12. God has spoken once, twice I have heard this, that power belongs to God and faithfulness is yours, Lord, for you, report a, you reward a person according to his work. That's David in the Old Testament saying, God, you're going to reward people for their work. I want to see that. You're faithful in that. Now we have Solomon. In Proverbs 24, 11, and 12, rescue those who are being taken away to death, and those who are sla- staggering to the slaughter. Oh, hold back. I dropped out a couple of words that weren't in it originally just to give it that effect. If you say, see, we did not know this, does he who weighs the heart not consider? And does he who watches over your soul not know? And will he not repay a person according to his work? So that's King David saying this, his son Solomon, the wisest man who ever lived saying this. King David was the man after God's own heart. Now we're going to get Matthew's take on it, quoting Jesus, who happened to be in that lineage of David and Solomon. Got to turn around every so often just to make sure this is lining up. I don't do this as often as Lee and James and Jay, some of the guys in here. So I guess with practice it'll get better. You could probably read it. Then Jesus said to his disciples, if anyone wants to come after me, he must deny himself, take up his cross, and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what good will it do a person if he gains the whole world but forfeits his soul? Or what will a person give in exchange for his soul? For the Son of Man is going to come in the glory of his Father with his angels and will repay Every person according to his deeds so there's the trifecta that's three very important people in biblical history and in the universe that uh, one of them wasn't just a person you know one of them was more than a human saying that this is going to happen we get repaid for what we do that should scare us and that should make us revere God That should uh, embolden us, and the word I'm looking for just escaped me. That should propel us, project us. That should force us to want to do things. David, a man after God's own heart, was empowered by the Holy Spirit to record that. Solomon, King David's son, the wisest man who ever lived, who himself went off the rails. David had his own experiences with going off the rails. Uriah, Bathsheba, how about let's number the army men that we have here. Jesus did not go off the rails. The Son of God, second being of the Trinity, as we count it, God in the flesh, was quoted by Matthew as saying that. Finally, after a few minutes in, we get to it. I'm going to try to read this from down here, so I can see it from your perspective. Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that hang on. every one of you who passes judge passes judgment. For in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. For who, for you who judge, practice the same things, and we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you you suppose this, you foolish person who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of his kindness and restraint and patience, not knowing that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? That could be an entire sermon in and of itself. Paul was writing to the church in Rome. This is a collection of people who were both Jewish and people who were Gentiles. I would say mostly Gentiles there. There might have been some prior Jews that converted. And it appears that there was a problem because they were looking around at the world and saying, sinner, 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 yet missing the sin in their own heart, their own life. Paul had to uh, say, don't you know that these people... Are destined for hell, and if you don't change, that's going to be you, and we need to be snatching them from the fire. We'll move on. But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will repay each person according to his needs, according to his deeds. That's the statement that that brought this sermon about. That's where it's found. Paul switches gears here. To those who by perseverance in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth but obey unrighteousness, he will give wrath and indignation, distress for every soul of mankind who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek So Paul was saying, look, there's no dividing line here. There's no no safe zone. It doesn't matter if you say you were a child of Abraham. If you do wrong, it's going to hurt. And he's trying to encourage them to do good. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what's good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek, for there is no partiality with God. For all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law. And all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. All right, don't read on ahead yet. You've heard the term rubber meets the road, this is where it hits. Most of my family's here today. this was just really cool, but three are not. Uh, we have a sickie, and then one stayed behind in Oklahoma. I'll talk to her later. Uh, this they know some of this, but I, I tried to sanitize this. I tried to uh, keep this G rated for this group, so I actually even talked to my mom about some of these things. I said, Mom, is, is this your recollection? Is this what happened? Did you get this picture? She said, yeah, about some of them, and, and then others. It was just my, my own selfish pr- perspective. So we're going to start. I became a Christian at age nine in December of 1978. I know some of you weren't even born then. After uh, my dad studied the Bible with me, my dad used to be a preacher for... The Church of Christ in Southwest Colorado. He would hit four churches a Sunday. And, uh, and, and it, was, it, it was a slightly different branch. Only a few months before that, in June of 78, on my ninth birthday, I had surgery on both feet. So imagine you've got a nine year old, and I do. I have Catherine. I'm looking at her going, You're nine. What was happening to me when I was nine? Oh, man. I remember now. Uh, It's about the distance from here to Fayetteville that my parents took me. Actually, they they were going through a a tough time. I don't remember if it was both or just one. And I went up to basically like the Washington County Hospital up there because they didn't have one here and uh, had foot surgery to correct something. That was scary. That, that had me terrified. So I was away from my family, and my, my mom remembers it differently. She says, No, we stayed at a hotel up there until we could be closer. And I, I don't remember that. Sorry, mom, if you listen to this later. Uh, I, I remembered I'm in a hospital room, in a hospital bed. The cool thing was I had a window from like the third or fourth floor, and I could look out just from my bed, lean over, look out, and I could see when this gold dodge dart drove in. I go, that's my parents, that's them. And they'd go walking in, either one or both, I don't remember. But uh, they'd walk back out of the hospital room and go back out to that car and leave. And then there were a few hours before that sun went down and a few hours before that sun came back up and surgery was not fun being nine, mortality, phew, stared me right in the face. And this is first world America problems. You know, I, I wanna make that clear. This is not, I'm in a third world country, there's no such thing as painkiller, and we have the same band-aids that we used on the last person to use on you, okay? So I'm trying to, trying to put this in perspective. So over here in this bed, As I'm recovering, there's a guy who doesn't speak English. And there were no kids' hospitals specifically in that day. I don't remember that. So this dude is an adult. He does not speak English, and he's trying to get my attention. There's something happening with him, and I don't know what it is. I thought maybe this is where my love for languages comes from. Because if I could learn another language, I could fix his problem, or I could at least communicate with him. Hey buddy, you know what do you need? okay, I got that taken care of didn't have a clue. This guy was in full panic mode. eventually, I realized panic mode there 's a panic button right here got the nurse in the room who's uh, who's on board here. They all came in. They were working on him and rushed me out and when it got sorted out. I ended up in a different room, completely unrelated to the first room, and I lost my window to the world there, and apparently he had passed away. I heard the nurses murmuring about it, and they didn't want that trauma to freak me out, being in the room where somebody died. There's an asterisk up here, because my mom didn't agree with that recollection, so I just want to put that out there. I'm doing my best to say it wasn't hyperbolic, it wasn't Uh, Made up. She just didn't remember that. That's the way I remembered it That was a pretty traumatic thing and this is just like four or five months before I became Christian My parents divorced the next year I was 10 and The next few years from my perspective were extremely rough. I will shorten this this is where I've Kind of sanitized some of this This in the next few slides Uh, They were rough from my perspective. Again, this is first world American child problems. This is not, I'm getting shelled by Russia, I live in a residence, and they're bombing me instead of the military base down the street because they're trying to make a point. This is not, I'm in China, I have to be underground because of my faith. This, This is just whatever I determined was persecution or rough. Our church back then had a Wednesday night group that would meet, kind of like what Brian's got and what Dane has, to raise up the young men. And I was part of that. I don't think most of it took, though, because I can't lead a song to save my life, and uh, my pitches are usually off. There was a lot of upheaval going on. There was a lot of, I'm not sure what's going to happen. I'm not sure how this is going to turn out. Dad's not in the picture much. If you've ever seen uh, One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, it's kind of what my dad was living through in a hospital about this point in time. That would be uh, confirmed by my mom. Easter Sunday, April 11th, 1982. What were you doing then? I know I was in California with my mom and my two brothers. And my dad was in Colorado. He had moved back there, so there was even a bigger rift for our family. I, I don't want to speak ill of people who passed away. My dad passed in 2012. So that's not, that's not to denigrate his memory. He was married four times. And I look at that and I think, you know what? That's a lot, that's a lot, that's a lot. That's a lot to go through, that's a lot to, to endure, that's a lot of emotional stuff going on. And his third wife on Easter morning went up to Genesee, Colorado outside of Denver and shot herself. So I'm probably eleven or twelve, and I hear this what's going on with my dad? You know he is way over there, let's I'm trying to remember where East is, and there's west and i'm that's a big stinking deal for a dad who was a husband who's been divorced twice before that to go through this so I don't think I can read this. It's a short, short letter, but uh, Brian, would you mind if I ask you to read this? This is a letter from a 12-year-old to his dad.
0: Dear Dad, this world has a lot of problems, but Barbara, but what Barbara did is not the answer. is wrong. If you've been going to the Church of Christ, you should. That's what you taught us, Dad, but don't let us down are afraid read these psalm 34 verse 4 i sought the lord and he heard me and delivered me from all my fears matthew 10 28 and fear not them which kill the body but are not able to kill the soul but rather fear him which is able to destroy soul and body in hell second timothy 1 verse 7 for god hath not given us the spirit of fear but of power and of love but of a sound mind Hebrews 13, verses 5 and 6, Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee, so that we may boldly say, The Lord is my helper, and I will not fear what man shall do unto me. Don't be depressed. Read Psalms 34. Don't doubt. And he said unto them, Why are ye fearful, O ye of little faith? Then he arose and rebuked the winds and the sea, and there was a great calm. Matthew 8, 26. Read the parable of the mustard seed and the yeast in Matthew. Read Job. It helped me. Most of all, pray for God's will and Christian love, your son, Philip. Yes, there is a heaven and there is a reward for those who work. It says in the Bible that if you're a Christian, you'll face persecution. Study the Bible daily. Do your best in the church, not for your own personal glory, but for God's.
1: My mom made a photocopy of that before it uh, got mailed. She saved it for many years and gave it to me at some point. We're uh, packing up, getting ready to move. Guess who found that? There's a load of emotions. All right. So that's from a young man to his dad pray to God, my son never has to deal with that, never has to put up with that. I pray my daughters don't, pray your kids don't, ever. I know what happens in this life. This is the world, and it's ugly, and it's a mess. Without Jesus, there is zero hope. So, I try not to live in that. I found it. I was right back there to the 10 or 11 or 12-year-old kid going, wow, I'm very grateful for what God has brought us through, our family, our kids, our, our church body here, before we even met you, what he brought you, you all through. Okay, switching gears, dad's been out of the picture four or five years, he's Thousand miles away. I'm now 15. My mom has a new husband, which means I've got a new stepdad Our family has a new sense of direction and It's not what it was. It's different My support system came with a completely different set of uh, priorities Uh, the phrase Buy a new Corvette was mentioned many, many times, and our front lawn looked like a car lot. And it was a status symbol. Part of that I appreciated. I could walk to school, and people would go, Hey, wh- when'd your family get that? You know, just a couple nights ago or whatever. And, Are you going to get to drive it? Yeah, someday. Maybe to the prom. My, uh, my hope was put into uh, cruising movies and that type of lifestyle, and and it slowly devolved from church focus, church activities to I can stay out late on Friday night, because I can stay out late on Friday night. I can get up later on Saturday morning, and I could just translate that right into Sunday, and I basically stopped going. And my mom was eventually tired of forcing me to go to church. About 15, we have this conversation. My mom says, "I'm tired of forcing you to go to church." I say fine. I stop going. My kids, you will not hear that from either one of your parents. I saw church at that point as stale, dry, boring, and dead. What happened? Okay. I am judging some things here in my 14 or 15 year old mind and emotions. I don't see with my physical eyes the benefit or the the outcome of that way of life, and I'm starting to move away from God and away from church, and I'm judging by my foolish standards, and my priorities are lacking, so taking my inheritance. I head off towards the greener grass over here of a different life it's a far country give me my inheritance I'm gonna go spend it poor choices lack of supervision rewarding of bad behavior which leads to more bad behavior bad company corrupts corrupts good character I knew God existed I just didn't want to serve him I didn't see people serving him and so I left You could watch a lot of TV when you're staying up late, not going to church. You could burn a few days just doing stupid things. And I set aside the Ten Commandments, and I built three of my own rules to live by. I will not mention them right now. If you want to talk to me about those later, great. Because I sometime later broke all three of those rules in one day. That's how, how strong they were in my life. I want to highlight that one with a laser pointer. Breaking all three of my own rules, I was faced with possible jail time. There were only two things that saved me. I was 17, and whoever I offended did not press charges. Okay. 17, angry young man, lonely, hurting, wreck of a person, I move out of my parents' house. I'm out of here. Don't want to have a thing to do with you people. I'm gone. I know some of you in the audience who are older have probably lived through something like this or seen something like this happen, and some of you are looking going, there's no way that could be possible. Uh, You can watch a lot of movies. James Bond became my idol, cool, cocky, living the life the way he wanted. If somebody messed with him, we just get rid of him. That is not a way to live. I built up walls in my life so no one could hurt me again. Lousy way to live. I graduated high school by the skin of my teeth, and I turned 18 with a very, very bleak future. Kids, maybe we will talk about this someday. So there's a couple of things that happened. Either my mom, who was still going to church, whispered to one of the pastors there, Hey, I need you to reach out to Phil. He's really struggling. I don't know exactly what happened, but people started reaching out to me, and I'm like, go away. They were very persistent. I'm going to camp here on point three. One's name was Lori Sibley. She was the daughter of Tom Sibley, big preacher on the West Coast. And uh, I said specifically, you Jesus freak go away I don't want to hang out with Bible bangers she was persistent We're the same age Uh, another was Steve Gregorich who was this shorter wiry guy who came up and poked me in the chest when are you gonna get serious about your faith I'm gonna deck you it's a good thing I didn't because he was a wrestler and he could have twisted me into a pretzel So over time, these two reintroduce me to the Bible and walking by faith, but I'm still resistant. Their perseverance is growing on me. And then in August of 87, a friend of ours invites me and my younger brother to go on the USS Waddell DDG-24 guided missile destroyer. It's pretty cool. I'm thinking, wow, it's a 10-day cruise. From Pearl Harbor to San Diego. Okay, I'm ready for that. It was great. Now, I I got seasick, but I got grumpy seasick. I didn't get the other kind of seasick, but it was all ten days I was just grumpy, which was kind of normal for me. So, it's beautiful. The ocean with nothing around is just amazing. Flying fish, Landing on the ship the ship's 400 feet long We went through a storm that was 400 miles wide. That was kind of scary The the rolling motion the you could you could be weightless if you were in the bow of that ship There's a ladder and you're trying to go up that ladder and when the ships coming down You will launch two flights of stairs if you're not careful you'll go up 20 feet in a in a couple of seconds and you have to grab back on but when you you do this, you're weighed down quite a bit. And uh, I thought that was exciting. (sighs) Ten days later, this happens. Rive arrive in San Diego, one of the most beautiful cities in the country. My mom and my stepdad pick me up. First thing she says is, while you're gone, your friend Lori Sibley died, and they've already had the funeral. What? What? We're we're both eighteen. We're we're both eighteen. It's, there's no way that could have happened. She had cystic fibrosis. I visit her visited her in the hospital before I went to uh, on this thing. But uh, I told her, "Yeah, I'll, I'll come back and see you." That quick. She's already gone, buried. There's an interesting story about this. Uh, As I came back to church some months later and started getting more involved, there was some concern about me and whether I was really coming back for the right reasons. This was reported to me by the younger sister of Lori, who said, uh, My parents had this conversation at the dinner table, and my mom was really concerned about you. Were you the right kind of influence? Lori's dad says these words reported to me If he is good enough for Lori, he's good enough for us. Okay. So that. rocked my world there too because because i'm i want to be all in you know want to be all in for jesus i want to want to do what's right mortality is certainly on my mind i had done a lot wrong in just such a short time how can i pick up the pieces of this life is it even possible uh, Labor Day we had a youth retreat uh, camp I repented recommitted my life to Jesus began rereading the Bible started with the red letters you know hey I'm gonna read every word Jesus said he, he said the whole thing it's just the red ones are kind of specific began revisiting church began rebuilding my support system began serving not perfectly Still a long way to go, still have many areas to grow and mature in my life. I'm knowing that my deeds are being recorded. It's a future lesson if I get asked to speak again. Uh, you would not believe the amount of references to books or scrolls or things that people remembered, either in heaven or here, to, hey, this happened. This ha- Did we ever reward Mordecai? This happened. At the end of time, books are going to be opened. Phil, did you do this? Yeah, yeah, I did that. Kit, uh, I may need you here.
2: Romans chapter 2, verse 1 says, Therefore, you have no excuse, you foolish person. Every one of you who passes judgment, for in that matter in which you judge someone else, you condemn yourself. You who judge practice the same thing. And we know that the judgment of God rightly falls upon those who practice such things. But do you suppose this you, foolish person, who passes judgment on those who practice such things and yet does does them as well, that you will escape the judgment of God? Or do you think lightly of the riches of His kindness and strength and patience, not knowing Oops, sorry. that the kindness of God leads you to repentance? But because of your stubbornness and unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath for yourself on the day of wrath and revelation of the righteous judgment of God, who will repay each person according to his deeds. To those who, by perseverance and doing good, seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But to those who are self-serving and do not obey the truth, but obey unrighteousness, He will give wrath and indignation. There will be tribulation and distress for every soul of mankind who does evil, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. I
1: think I might be able to get it from here. But glory, honor, and peace to everyone who does what's good, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. For there is no partiality with God, for all, have, all who have sinned without the law will also perish without the law, and all who have sinned under the law will be judged by the law. For it is not the hearers of the law who are righteous before God, but the doers of the law who will be justified. For when Gentiles who do not have the law instinctively perform the requirements of the law, these, though not having the law, are a law to themselves in that they show the work of the law written in their hearts, their conscience testifying and their thoughts alternately accusing or defending them on the day when, according to my gospel, God will judge the secrets of mankind through Christ Jesus. So I want to say this is the hopeful part of the lesson right there. There's some filter. There's some filter. There is a filter. There is Jesus' blood which filters What God sees takes away the sin, gives us new life, new hope. There will be a day when all those secrets will be known and they'll be judged. I will be judged. You will be judged. There's no getting out of that one. There are a lot of people right now who want to stick their fingers in their ears and go, no, 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 I'm not hearing. The good news of Jesus is that we can have our sins forgiven past, present, and future. It doesn't mean that we will live perfectly after conversion, as evidenced by my life story, or yours, if you claim Jesus. But that we have hope that in Jesus we will share in the glory, honor, immortality, and peace of heaven. Our secrets will be unveiled and viewed through the perfect atoning blood of Jesus. 1 Peter 4.17. This is where I wrap it up. Thank God I made it this far. Thank God you did too. Peter, close friend of Jesus, Got this knowledge and this insight to record for us. He said it about 2,000 years ago, maybe closer to 1930, I don't know. For it is time for judgment to begin with the household of God. And if it begins with us first, what will the outcome for those who do not obey the gospel of God be? That is my message this morning. Wasn't pretty. Uh, Probably a lot more information than you wanted. You can send the bill for psychiatric uh, counseling to me later. Um, This is really important. Uh, And I, I come to grips with this every so often. I come across one of these letters or notes or a little memory of, oh, that's what I used to be like. Knowing, okay, I've been forgiven, but those scars are still there. What was his name? Jacob, who walked with the hip uh, limp after he wrestled with God. The scars are still there. There are people that I should not talk to that live four or five states away now that I will probably never see again the rest of my life. And I wish I could let them know, hey, I'm sorry, or hey, I forgive you for whatever it was. For my part in that, here's where we're at. But I think some of that would do more harm than good. So I I would just. My question for you is, am I alone in this? Or is this a common thing to humans? Do you have your own baggage that you have to sift through to work on? to make right, to get forgiven by God. So this body, and many churches very similar, get together. And I don't think it's just limited to Sunday mornings, but if you wanted to make Jesus Lord of your life, they'd probably do it just about any time. Midnight, 6 a.m., 6 p.m. Somebody's got a pool someplace or a jacuzzi somewhere. I was baptized in a jacuzzi. I think it was a Saturday night. We're gonna do the invitation now and basically this is the point where you can say, you know what, I'm tired of struggling with the baggage. I'd like to make it right or I've been away from God or whatever. If you need the prayers of the church, if you need assistance, please let
0: us know as we stand and sing. We hope you have enjoyed this message recorded at Highway 71, Church of Christ. If you have questions concerning this message or would like to set up a study, please call 479-647-2658. May God bless you.